Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, the show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. What's up? Pastor Rod, how are you? I'm caffeinated. Yeah. How are good, you? Good, man. Good. Yeah. We've got some coffee, fresh brewed coffee here in the office. And, Delicious. Uh, we are ready to tackle this next section of the daily Bible reading. Uh, it is Sunday, June 4th, 2023. Hope you're going to church today. We do hope you're going to church today. We hope if you are part of our church that you'll be joining us at the uh, Bible study tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are jumping back into the daily Bible reading this morning. And uh, the section, it's a, it's a larger section, four chapters, 13, 14, 15, 16 of Second Chronicles. So uh, just kind of quick overview of what happens here. Second Chronicles 13, you've got Abijah uh, taking the, the, the throne from Rehoboam. And uh, just one chapter devoted to Abijah's reign uh, gives an idea of, of who he was. We talk a little bit about the Davidic covenant in that chapter. Then chapters uh, 14 through 16 is the, the next in line. Abijah's son Asa takes the throne. And uh, in chapters 14, 15, and 16, it kind of breaks down into a, a three-part division there of Asa's uh, rise to, to power there and then his reforms in chapter 15. So his rise, chapter 14, his reforms in chapter 15, and then uh, just to be try to be a good Baptist, even though we're not technically Baptist, his resolution or his ending in chapter 16. And, and unfortunately, we'll find that that doesn't necessarily go well. Mm, does not. But that's our, our Old Testament reading. New Testament reading, as we'll get into, is John chapter 14. So we begin to get more into the upper room discourse, some more uh, on the Holy Spirit, and one of the most famous verses that Jesus ever utters in his uh, earthly ministry, at least. Uh, one of the more well-known ones, at least. So stay tuned for that. But let's let's start with Second Chronicles. Let's get into to chapter 13 and make some notes and some observations here. Uh, first in, is just kind of a point of reference for time frame. I think sometimes that's helpful. Where are we in all of this? Asa, or, or Abijah, rather, that is, uh, takes the throne somewhere around 913, 915 BC. So um, that's kind of where we're at. You've got, just for point of reference, you've got Isaiah in, uh, in around the 700s BC. And so we're still a couple hundred years away from, uh, from Isaiah the prophet's uh, ministry and prime ministry there. But um, Abijah comes to, to power there, and uh, he has a, a, a reign that is somewhat unremarkable when we read through it here in Second Chronicles chapter 13. Uh, not a, a ton given to him. He's not um, really highlighted too much, aside from the fact that um, in Second Chronicles 13, uh, he makes this comment in, in chapter 13, verse 5, about the covenant of salt. As um, Abijah was going out to, do, to, to go to war or go to battle, that is, against Jeroboam, the king in the north there, um, he was, uh, was praying, and he makes this comment in verse 5. He says, Ought you not to know that the Lord, the God of Israel, gave the kingship over Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt? What in the world does a covenant of salt mean? Well, salt in this time was a preservative. And so it's likely that this was a way of Abijah reminding God in prayer, even of the eternality of this covenant, the permanence of this covenant, that God's promises to David were going to continue, even as the kingdom was divided, even as there was battle between the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. Abijah knew uh, who it was that he was trusting and depending in here. And so he was praying and asking that God would honor that covenant and uh, and uh, that, that he would remember the, the permanence of that. So that's a pretty tasty application right there. The covenant of salt being permanent 
See what I did there? You saw what I did. I, I, I love the I, fact that I this saw. guy, for, for the fact that he's not super remarkable, he comes out swinging. Do you see what he says to this guy? Abijah stood up on Mount Zemariam, and that is in the hill country of Ephraim, and said, Hear me, O Jeroboam, and all Israel. Ought you not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingship over to Israel forever and to David? In other words, this is the legitimate line of the kings. Who are you guys? And, and he goes on to really stand up against their defiance and rebellion against what he would see as the Lord's leadership in their lives. So I appreciate that. For not being super remarked upon, I think the way he comes out swinging like that is pretty cool. Absolutely. I think another thing that's important, because if you read Kings, there's we've talked about this before in this podcast, that there's the negative highlights that come out more and more. Lowlights. Uh, Lowlights, low yeah. Negative lowlights. Um, but Chronicles was written to a post-exilic audience. And mm-hmm. so what we mean by that is that this is Israel after the exile and the exile is coming. And we'll touch on that in coming books here. But part of the author's purpose was giving some hope to Israel and casting a vision for the, what Israel should be and could be. And that's one of the reasons why we don't see as much focus on the negative in the book of Chronicles. And I think you see that here, even with this, he's highlighting this idea of the permanence of the Davidic covenant, reminding post-exilic Israel that there's still a future for the line of David. That's right. And we've hit on this previously in the podcast as well. We still believe that there's a future for the line of David. In fact, we know there is because the ultimate fulfillment of the messianic uh, uh, hope of the Davidic covenant is Jesus himself. Um, who will rule and reign for uh, the millennial kingdom here on earth. And so um, the chronicler is, is trying to encourage there, and that's that's kind of what's going on with uh, Abijah there in Second Chronicles chapter 13. Um, uh, chapter 14 through 16 then is a, a shift from uh, King Abijah to now his son. Uh, 14.1, Abijah slept with his fathers, and Asa, his son, reigned in his place. And so Asa gets a lot more ink uh, devoted to him than Abijah did. And uh, and Asa has a pretty strong start. You've got the Ethiopians, or the Cushites in some translations, that, mm-hmm. that come up against Israel, come up against Judah. And uh, and it says in 14.9, a million men. That's a, that's a lot, isn't it? In the text, in the Hebrew, it was literally a thousand thousands. Mm-hmm. So it's translated a million because a thousand thousands is calculator a million, right? Carry the one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Plus, yeah. But it could just simply have been a hyperbolic statement to say, hey, there's a lot, there's of, a lot of people. There's a lot of people. And they yeah. far outnumbered Judah's forces. Which is exciting, too, because that puts Asa in a place to exercise the kind of trust and dependence that God is looking to establish, not only in the people at that time, but in the post-exilic community. Are you going to trust the Lord when all of it hits the fan? When the odds are stacked against you, what are you going to do? And verse 11 shows why Asa is highly regarded. At the beginning of this chapter, it says, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. And you begin to see that in verse 11, where it says, Asa cried to the Lord his God. And then it tells us what kind of prayer that is. But this is the starting place of a good king. Reliance, dependence, trust in Yahweh. And that's a theme in Second Chronicles, that, that when kings are humble and depend upon the Lord, good things happen. And when kings drift from the Lord, when they forget the Lord, when they rely on their own strength, bad things happen. So here, at least at the beginning, Asa's got a strong start there in chapter 14. Mm-hmm. Then in chapter 15, that strong start continues. And Asa begins to realize that, hey, there's some things that need to uh, change here. In fact, Azariah, it says in 15.1, the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Obed, or Oded. I wonder if when we get to heaven, we'll, we'll begin to know who some of these guys are. Like, I would o- like to meet them. The son of Oded, Azariah. Like, Oded makes the Bible because of what happens with his son. We assume Oded was a good dude. That's pretty cool. I mean, 
Yeah. My name's in there. I, well, I wouldn't mind that. Yeah, yeah. And it says, and he went out to meet Asa, and he he prophesies. He says, here, if you seek the Lord, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Again, that's kind of a theme that emerges in Chronicles. Seek the Lord, God will respond. Forsake the Lord, God will respond, but not in the way you want him to. Hmm. And Asa hears this prophecy, and he responds. It says in verse 8, as soon as he heard the words of the prophecy, uh, he took courage and put away the, the detestable idols from the land of Judah and Benjamin and the cities that he had taken in the country of, hill country of Ephraim, repairs the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule. He gathers all Judah and Benjamin, and they, they have this worship. In verse 12, they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul. And we even mm. get language that reminds us of the covenant at Sinai of Deuteronomy, of, of seeking the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength. And I think that's intentional there, even that this is a recommitment that Asa leads here in chapter 15 to, to seek the Lord. And that's one of the things that is thematic in the book of Second Chronicles, uh, all of Chronicles really, but specifically this second scroll here, mm-hmm. the seeking and being found of God. The seeking out is always regarded as a good thing. You saw this in verse 4. He sought him, and he was found by them. Uh, When Asa responds positively, he says in verse 12 that they entered a covenant to seek the Lord. That seeking is something that God wanted to encourage them to do. Don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. Now, look at verse 15 if you're looking at your Bible with us. All Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart, and they had, get this, sought him with their whole desire and was found by them. The Lord wants to be found by you. But there are times when God might pull back in order for you to pursue him. So if you're in a season right now where you feel like God is hiding from you or you feel like you're just struggling to connect, hey, keep seeking. The Lord wants to be found. He will be found if you don't lose hope. Absolutely. In fact, we we hear that in the New Testament too, Matthew 7, 7. Ask, seek, knock, right? I mean, God wants to be sought by his people, to your point, Pastor Rod. In Hebrews eleven six, he rewards those who seek him. Mm. Um, and so, yes, we we know the, the verses from Romans. There's no one who seeks God. There's no one who does good. And yet... There's a call on us as Christians that we should be seeking after the Lord. And I think we can look at this from the Old Testament. We talked about how, yeah, there's different dispensations, different ways. This is something we can look to the Old Testament and say, yeah, we should be doing this too. We should be seeking the Lord. Even in verse 16, he he chooses the Lord and this seeks is the Lord over his own mom. Ooh, get out of the way, mom. <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> so if you're listening to this and your mom has set up a bail, Ooh. Asherah, in your house, it's time to get rid of her. Let's go. Oh, let's talk about some pastoral counseling first and then get rid of her. <laughs> But let's talk about it first. <laughs> That's true. That's true. No, but he he's doing well here. Um, and there's this interesting comment. It says in verse 17, the high places were not taken out of Israel. But earlier, didn't it say he did take the high places out of? Well, it says he took them out of Judah, mm. but not Israel. And this is, I think, just a reminder from the chronicler here that this is still a divided kingdom. And the yep. north is not following the Lord. Um, but then it says he was wholly true all his days. Wow. What a commendation. That It is. And yet... We're, as we turn to chapter 16, going to find that that's kind of a, a summary statement, but not necessarily does that mean he was wholly true all of the until days. his dying breath. Right. Every, every moment of his life was not that. Because in chapter 16, we find his resolution to stick with our R's. We find his, his mm. decline. He, he rose in chapter 14, reforms in chapter 15, things are going well. And then in chapter 16, 
things begin to go sideways. Uh, he does you feel for not him? finish well. Man, yeah, this is hard. Yeah, in in sixteen, we've got uh, just one point of clarification. Small little exegetical note here to note. It, it says in the thirty sixth year of the reign of Asa, uh, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah. We've got a little bit of a problem uh, because in First Kings chapter fifteen, it says that Basha died in the twenty sixth year of Asa's reign. Hmm. So. We've got some chronological discrepancy here. Zombie Basha. It seems like that's what's happening here. That's my best exegetical remark on this. Walking Dead. It, this I is mean, episode one of The Walking Dead. <laughs> no, it, it, there's it, honestly at the end of the day, y'all, th- this does not change the outcome of the content of what's taking place here. And I, I don't want it to shake your faith. Um, I, my best guess as doing some research in this is I think it was probably a scribal, scribal error. Scribal error all the yeah. way. Yeah. You look at 36, you look at 26, you can see how the the error could be made there and so i think likely it was just simply a scribal error which is an important point when we talk about our bible being infallible we don't mean the words that you're necessarily reading on the screen in 2023 that's always applied to the original manuscripts the original documents written by the original people that is what we would say has god's uh perfect word communicated to us through the time and space and seasons and all the things that have happened between now and then sometimes you have these issues where it's like oh okay i wonder what was happening there how are these numbers mixed up but overall we have a very clear continuous uh, confidently received word of god through the ages that god has preserved for us yes absolutely we do the rest of chapter 16, again, he does not finish well. Um, the Syrian king comes up against him, or not the Syrian king, sorry. he uh, Basha comes up against him, the king of Israel, and Asa goes to the Syrian king. And rather than turning to the Lord, turns to foreign powers to try to get help. Mm. And again, he's not seeking the Lord. And we find out what happens when we don't seek the Lord. The Lord is going to forsake us, right, when, in that process. And that's what happens there. But it's a, a good reminder to us that we need to finish well um, as believers. And Pastor Rod, you and I were talking about that yesterday. We saw some tweets right now during Pride Month from some people that had professed faith a while ago, public figures that now are clearly very much not walking with the Lord. And we were both kind of saying, man, but for the grace of God, go we. And, and it's an important reminder. We need to finish strong as as believers. And that's a good lesson for our children, too, for us to remind them and say, okay, if we're laying this foundation for you right now to, to teach you to follow Jesus, but we want you to live a whole life fully devoted to Jesus, not get close to the finish line and then fade away, but finish and finish well. Yeah, one of the things Paul says to Timothy that has always stuck with me is keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching persist in this for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers paul warns timothy there is a insidious part of our hearts that will gravitate towards sin and self-deception and we need to be aware as christians that you're never too mature to sin you're never too mature to do something foolish and stupid Mm. which is why we love that song he will hold me fast Mm. it isn't our grip that clings to christ that we find our confidence in it's in his grip upon us. So one of the things that we should do with something like this, and you see someone who starts well and then finishes poorly, I got to remind you, you are a child of grace. You have been saved by grace. You're being sanctified by his grace. All of these things are acts of God's grace upon your life. But with all that said, there is a responsibility on our part to be recipients of that grace and to exercise it day by day. Cling to him as he clings to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. We transition then to our, our New Testament 
uh, reading for the day, which comes out of John 14. And uh, upper room again, we've come mm-hmm. off of the washing of the feet. We've come off of um, just the, the, the humility of Christ and the love demonstrated there. Um, and, uh, and then now we come to, to 14 where, where Jesus begins to comfort his disciples a little bit here at the beginning, at least, cause he knows he's about to go to the cross and that's going to cause a lot of panic amongst them. And then even after his resurrection and his ascension, there's going to be just this kind of, what do we do now? Um, and so Jesus is, is beginning to lay the foundation to encourage them about what's going to happen there in John chapter 14. Yeah, and keep in mind, these guys have been with Jesus for three years now. They've eaten and slept and drank. I mean, they've done everything with him for three years. And he's telling them, not so subtly, hey, guys, it's coming to the end of the line right now. I'm right. about to leave. And I, and I love the things that he says to them to affirm them and to encourage them. And one of the things he says is in verse 12. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and even greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. So, of course, uh, the disciples aren't doing exactly what Jesus does, but because of the fact that there are so many of them, and they're going to do so much more ministry than he does in a short time on earth, they're going to do far more works than Jesus will ever have done. That's because Jesus is working through them. And the rationale, the reason why, is the second half of verse 12, because he goes to the Father. And he right. does that, and he sends someone to support them. Exactly. And and I think that's how we say, well, how, how are we going to do greater works than Christ? Well, not in our flesh. Right. But as he goes on to talk about obeying and uh, and, and following the, the commandments, he also says, I, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while the world will see, no more, see me no more, but you will see me. And then he, he goes on, he says, I'm, I'm sending you a helper. And that's the... the the, the paraclete, right. The paraclete, the Holy Spirit, right. Who is the one that empowers us and enables us to do greater works even than Christ in, in that context and in, in what that means. So, um, John 14, Jesus is preparing the disciples, preparing them for his departure. You've got great encouragement in this chapter. You've got that verse in six. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but through me, it's, it's a reminder. It's encouraging, but it's also a reminder of the urgency of the task at hand that we've got an exclusive gospel that calls people to faith only in Jesus. And we've got to go about making sure that we get that message out as far and, wi- and wide as we possibly can. And even there, the, the Holy Spirit helps us do that. And, uh, and the, the expansion I'm thinking of, of when, when, uh, uh, Paul writes about us filling up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions, mm-hmm. right? That verse is confusing until we understand what he means. There is, is we are the, the body of Christ on earth because Christ is no longer physically present on earth. And so we're filling up what was lacking by going out and reaching people for Christ. And the way we do that is the uh, same way we do greater things than he did on earth is, is through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us as the church to, to go out, mm. obey the father and also to see more people come to know Jesus as the way, the truth and the life. Right, and that obedience, to point it out here, is so important. People will obey the Lord for different reasons, but Jesus gives the only real acceptable reason or the the real motivational force behind our obedience in verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And that's an important feature of your sanctification. Christians, please hear us. It is your love for God that will provoke the highest form of your obedience, that's all that will really ultimately move you and move you toward Jesus Christ. That's the whole purpose. The idea here that Jesus is trying to communicate is the Holy Spirit's the one who births this within us. He's the one who causes love to well up in your heart for him. And so you might hear from your pastors or other people, like, you need to do this, this, and this, and this. And, and I guess that's okay. But what Jesus is calling you to do is to love him. 
Love is what will provoke obedience. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. Let love be the reason that you read your Bible, the reason that you pray, the reason that you serve at your church. There is no higher form of motivation than love for God, and that will do far more than any other motivation would ever do. Absolutely. And it will cause us to, to shine brighter as a church, as a lampstand, than anything else will will ever do. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So uh, hopefully this has been an encouraging episode for you guys as uh, it has been for us as we've been talking through these things. And uh, we're so grateful that you're tuning in with us and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Yeah.